You're listening to Forward Progress, Inspiring Change, a podcast centered around conversations about racism and discrimination. Meet Mario Love. Mario is one of the most inspiring and resilient people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. Mario has gone through more tragic events in his college years alone than most people will ever have to endure in their lifetime. However, throughout the trials and tribulations Mario has faced, he keeps putting one foot in front of the other. Mario is one of those people who leads by example more than he does with his words. Although he is someone whose voice can be heard loudly when speaking up about certain issues, you don't have to hear him speak to know that he is working. This applies on the field as well. Mario has had to fight and scratch his way rep after rep, practice after practice, and season after season to prove himself as a college offensive lineman. He finally found his way onto the field this past season, and everyone was super happy about that. If you knew what Mario has been through, you would have been cheering as loud as any of the players. Mario has been an inspiration to me and other people throughout Indiana Wesleyan University on what it means to persevere, be true to yourself, and take everything you face straight on. In other words, Mario is a warrior. But don't let me be the person to tell you about his story. Hear it from himself. Here's the story of Mario Love. So to start off, I just want to do just a formality, just to kind of get your demographics. So what your name is, I mean, obviously I know what it is, but what your name is, um, your hometown, um, basically anything about you that you think is vital information to know about you. Like, uh, I mean, height, weight, like, <laughs> I don't know what else, like whatever you want. So it's it's completely up to you. So yeah, uh, Mario Love, I'm from Gautier, Mississippi. So that's like about 20 minutes from New Orleans, about 40 from Mobile, Alabama. So it's right there on the coastal line of Gulf Coast, uh, Mexico. Dang, all the way down there. Yeah. <laughs> It's 13 hours away, so it's like a straight shot. Drive's not bad, but so um, I'm mixed. A lot of people didn't realize that about me until they saw my mom at a senior night and stuff. They was like, is your mom white? And, oh, she's Hispanic. Uh, there's where Mario actually came from. Like, my name and title all together is, like, a tribute to all the different aspects of my life. So Mario's, too, is my Hispanic side of my family, my mother's generation. Tajay is a tie to my grandparents on my dad's side, which are Native American. Then Love is my family name that's been part of my family since we, my family was brought over in 1873 on the slave trade. Wait, date, but gotcha. Wow, that's awesome. How do you um, how do you spell? Is it you said your middle name was from your grandparents? Yes. Your, okay. How do you spell that? T y j h a. T y j a j. J H J H A. Okay, God, that's awesome. I see. I've I've known you for four years, and I didn't know that about you. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know a little bit about your, um, about your upbringing, your uh, your childhood, um, and just your family. But for the people listening here who don't know much about you, go. I know there's a lot to unpack for you, but go into as much detail or as little detail as you want about uh, your childhood, your family. Um, like I said, this is this is all up to you. Uh, whatever you want to share, go ahead and share. So, yeah, um, growing up on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi and stuff, uh, young age, like, for the first time, like, 
want to experience hardship was with Hurricane Katrina and stuff. Like for a lot of people, that feels like so long ago. But for me, it was such a vivid memory and stuff of viewing how we think of the word like looting today and stuff. To me, that's not a bad thing and stuff because when I saw people looting, they were looting for things such as diapers, food, clothing and stuff. And in my neighborhood, we fell between the FEMA pro uh, cracks and stuff, so there was no assistance from the government. So a lot of people in my neighborhoods did not get any kind of assistance at all uh, from the government, from other people and stuff. And it was already a low-income neighborhood by itself, but it was barely above the poverty line. So it's kind of like just had to figure out for ourselves. And uh, when Hurricane Katrina hit and stuff, half my house was destroyed and stuff, and the other half, because of the black mold and all the flood damage and stuff, was basically destroyed from the inside. Uh, so from a young age and stuff, my elementary was destroyed. I missed two years of my education. I missed third and my second grade years growing up just because there was no building for us. Like, they gave us little packets to send home, but it wasn't really much. But That can, that can only do so much, you know? Yeah. Like, learning from a packet's a lot different than, in, like, in, like kind of like, like, like now with COVID, like with Zoom. I mean... Zoom and online assignments through, you know, Brightspace, Canvas, whatever software, like it's, it gets the job done, but it's a lot different than, you know, in-person instruction actually being at school. Yeah. Most of the time you just look it up online. Like it's no real education value to it, but that kind of like it, I took the positive out of that well, because that helped me with my work at the kind of young age. You know, I had learned how to work with my hands at like five, seven stuff. Me and my brother were sleeping back to back under a tent. And so, so I had a real close relationship to my siblings and stuff. But from that point, um, that just instilled, like, that hard work ethic in me that really showed out. And when I played football, when I did powerlifting, basketball, all the different sports I was involved with growing up, it was for me, like, I took so much knowledge from that. And to me, I started viewing schooling a lot different. Like, I learned way more than I did in like my first seven years of education by working and learning and being taught by my uncles and my cousins, and my father when he was around. Uh, so I always say now I never let my school infect my education and stuff. Like most people and stuff, like they see the tattoos and stuff. That's actually what this inside one came from was knowledge is the key to like unlocking the power of your mind and stuff. And when you do that, especially as like a black man and stuff like you kind of break that bondage and stuff like of knowing your true identity and like nobody can tell you who you are in life. So, yeah. Uh, fast forwarding a little bit and stuff. Uh, my mother and stuff were actually against the idea of me playing football or playing sports in general just because like growing up I had, I actually was allergic to grass like when I was a very young baby and stuff. So she's very keep calming inside like, me being the youngest as well, like I'm her baby and stuff. She's very protective of me. But as I got older, she let me start going out more. I had asthma real bad growing out. Where to the point where like if I had asthma attack, I had to be hooked to a machine for like eight hours straight. Wow. And stuff. But uh, I kind of like started playing football like behind her back because my dad was the coach of my brother's peewee team. So I was about eight at this point. My brother was 10, I want to say, when he first started playing. So I grew up playing with a lot of people older than me. 
Uh, and most of the time they just saw me as a person. I was just allowed to practice. I couldn't be a part of the team. So whenever they need, like, somebody to return or just be a rabbit for them to chase around work on tackling and stuff, that's what I did. And it's kind of like that's where I first started falling in love with football and stuff more than any other sport. Would you say you're an energetic kid or you were an energetic kid? Oh, yeah, I was very bad at ADHD and stuff. Like, uh, I got in trouble at school multiple times because I would just get up and walk out. Yeah, like my elementary where it was built at, it was like right around the block from my house and stuff, but it was like a little pathway and fence. We could just jump. I'll be right at my house. So like one day, it was like we got just right out of recess and stuff. My teacher stepped out for something I wanted to juice, and at that time you weren't allowed to get out of class at like one time a day or one time during parts of the day. So she wasn't paying attention and stuff, and the window was open, so I just jumped out and left, and the whole school went on lockdown looking for me. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it was like I was not the really the bad kid in school. I was just very adventurous. Yeah, and stuff. <laughs> so I just did everything I never thought about. I just would walk off and do stuff. My parents hated about that about me when I was little, but I don't know. I kind of found found myself in the world that way, and that's kind of like what led me to be fine with going so far away from home, thirteen hours, is because of the fact like even though I'm alone and stuff, I don't feel as isolated. As some people, like, I'm fine with my company by myself. So, um, yeah, and stuff. So, like, I left and grabbed a whole bunch of juice boxes. And my father was actually home at this point. And he was asking me questions like, shouldn't you be at school right now? And I told him, yeah. I just legit left and grabbed a whole bunch of juice boxes because, like, at that point, my teacher's like, if you're going to have a snack, you have to have enough to share for the class. So I thought uh-huh. I was fine and stuff, but I apparently wasn't. <laughs> So, yeah, that was, like, early up, and so I was just very adventurous, very outgoing and stuff as a person. And, like, and I got my later years in, like, high school and stuff. Um, ninth grade, my brother was a senior in high school and stuff, so a lot of people knew me. They knew about me a little bit. But at that point, I was kind of like my brother's shadow as well because he was a baseball player. He did football as well and stuff, but – it really wasn't until, like, that summer going into my 10th grade, and he was into his senior year at that point, where they coaches had us go at competition against each other, even though, like, I was excuse me, I was a fullback and interior lineman and stuff. He was a wide receiver slash tight end hybrid person. Like, most of the times it was just, like, that competitive spirit against both of us that, like, sparked a lot of stuff in the team that helped lead us to a lot of wins and stuff. From that point on, it was kind of like by the end of my freshman year and stuff, I accomplished so much at football. Like, that's what everybody knew me for in my town, even though it was like a small town. Um, Everybody, like, they saw us and stuff. They knew I was the big little brother and stuff. Like, I was a little bit taller than him, a little bit more stout, wider shoulders from powerlifting and football. But everybody just knew – who we were when they saw us and stuff just because that recognizability and stuff like for the stuff we already did at in the community and stuff with my family we ran um by my senior year of high school we ran three family businesses we ran uh, a catering service where we grilled and did a lot of barbecue for the community and stuff and a lot of times like they'll send people from like the radio show like from all the way from Mobile and stuff, just to come grab some barbecue and bring it back and stuff. And when people heard about it on the radio, we had cars going around the block, just coming want to get a plate. 
Wow. And stuff. We ran a lawn care service and stuff. That was just me and my brother in high school. So, like, after we finish workouts in the summertime from, like, 6 to noon and stuff, we'll spend, like, the next five and six hours just cutting grass, cutting brush off people's land and stuff. And that usually make us, like, $200, $300 by the end of the day and stuff. Then the other one, we also did welding and stuff. So we built our own grills. So everything we made and cooked off of, we also sold as well. So, like, while people would come by and see these big grills that we cooked off of, a lot of people want to start barbecuing. They want us to build them one. So we would be taking down orders for that and then sending it to the backyard and stuff and start building that as well. So Heck, yeah, dude. That's awesome. That's basically you're you're an innovator. You use – you come up with ideas and you run with them. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I know you mentioned – you haven't mentioned exactly – what your hometown is. I mean, you kind of spoke a little bit about it in terms of, you know, with Hurricane Katrina. Oh, okay. Um, and no, n- not saying that it's a bad thing. I was going to ask you to explain um, more about your hometown, like you know, just a description. Like I know you said it was a small town, um, but yeah, just tell me, tell me more about where you grew up. So yeah, Gauthier, Mississippi. Uh, it's a very interesting, but boring place at the same time and stuff. Like when you look at it, it seems so diverse, but Mississippi in itself is still, like, 1960s, like, is still very racially divided and stuff. So, like, I lived on the south side, which was where the projects and a lot of Section 8 housings was. And, like, usually when people got out of jail, a lot of hard-time criminals, the rapists, the murderers and stuff, they lived two blocks away from me. Um, In my house, on my neighborhood, more importantly, like, there's where a lot of homeless people slept and stuff because at night there's no street lights, for one. So police never came around and stuff looking for any trouble because usually if anything happened, they know they'll get the report like there's gunshots and they'll check it first thing in the morning. Like police never came until the next day in most cases. So in that situation, I know I remember growing up and stuff like walking past homeless people all day. And from a young age and stuff that's kind of like what pushed me to stay in school because like they told me like you know schooling is going to be your way out and stuff even if football might present opportunities for you like stay focused in school so the way that kind of seeing that harsh reality growing up and stuff like it's so easy being that predicament and stuff because they are all good people and stuff like yeah you had a few drug addicts and stuff and people that blew money or because of bad decisions they personally made later down the line they end up homeless, but a lot of those people were just people that were really down bad on their luck because the only real job opportunities there was down there was the shipyard growing up at that point. And um, I spent some time working out there and stuff. I seen it firsthand stuff, how working out there and that backbreaking labor they had you do and stuff just to make a decent wage to be able to take care of yourself and your family. Like a lot of my friends and stuff in high school got hooked on the drugs at that point. Started popping pills, smoking weed, just to help their bodies relax and stuff. And, like, that just sent them down a spiraling hole. And for me, that's when I left and stuff because my dad worked out there for a while and stuff. And that's when he got hooked on the cocaine. So more than anything else, like, I knew that was not for me, even though, like, I'm fine with the physical labor aspect. Like, I just couldn't, in a way, sell my soul in that form just for that. A little bit more about my time. Like, we had one mall and stuff that shut down, and they left the building there for so long. So 
A lot of people always went over there to fight and stuff still. Uh, I've seen people get beat nearly half to death in high school just because one fight started, another person would jump in, another person would jump on top, and you just get stumped out by 12, 13 different people. So it was kind of like there's where, like, the police start hanging out more at night just because they always knew there's where it would happen at. But mostly it's kind of like a drive-by drive by town past the night. Like, you blink your eyes, you're through the town already and stuff. Because the way the highway, Highway 90 ran right through the middle of my town. Where I lived on was the south side, and there's no stores. There's no real grocery place besides right there on the highway. Then you got the other side. Um, other side, which we referred to as the north side at that point. And stuff, and there's where a lot of the wealth was, the retired golf courses and stuff. Because, like, most of the time when they show videos and pictures of it, that show that side of the town. Pretty nice, very well taken care of. Like like when you search the city on Google and you look at the images, like you'll the get images like, on the north side will show. Okay. You'll see, like, the wildlife refugees and stuff, like the um, nature preserves and stuff, because there's where it's all at and stuff. And, like, for me growing up, like, I just saw it more as, like, a political thing and stuff until like I got to high school and stuff and there's where I started realizing it was more about race because when, I'm, when I grew up my middle school and elementary was nothing but black and Hispanics and stuff so like that's all I knew and stuff and it wasn't until like I got in high school I started talking to some of my friends that lived on the other side of town like they had a totally different experience growing up for me and stuff because I remember one of the early trips I took on in middle school and stuff they took there was two trips and stuff that all seven, eight graders went on. One was to, which is like a plantation house and stuff, and where you basically go out and fields all day. You pick cotton, you kind of have fun with and stuff. But it's kind of like, wait a minute, I just went out here to pick a whole bunch of cotton for these people for free, and like, I didn't even get to keep none of it. I had to turn it all in by the end of the day. So that kind of went over my head until I got older. Then later on and stuff, it was my beginning. End of my eighth grade year, going into my ninth grade in high school and stuff, where they take you to the prison system and they show you like, they kind of show you how the police uh, prison system works and stuff. They show you the ins and outs and stuff. One of the remarks by the police officer and stuff kind of stuck with me. It was a black officer and stuff. And it's like, out of all y'all and stuff, I'll see about forty five percent of y'all in here one day or the other. And like, in a way, he was telling us the sad truth and stuff because he knew. What we didn't at that point was that policing on my side of town, on the south side, was a lot different from the north side because you didn't have the same crime rates and stuff because just traveling across Highway 90 by itself, all crimes jumped up about 20%. So that's like my first kind of actual look into how race uh, influenced me growing up more than anything else just because to me, like at that point and stuff, like, it was very, like, loving kid. I fought a lot. I had anger issues. But at the same time, like, I didn't see no other child different than me. Like, everybody was on an even playing field. Mm. And it wasn't until, like, high school where most of these kids have already a retirement set up where they only have to work 10 years and their family's taking care of them versus, like, somebody who's just worked as hard and stuff and can barely make it enough to go to a junior college. Like, 
just wasn't fair growing up for me and stuff. And I didn't realize that until like later on in high school. Now later that I'm in college. This was only the first part of our conversation. And there are so many things we could unpack about Mario. Only being my second conversation, Mario has really opened my eyes onto what the importance of this podcast is. I want it to be a vessel for black men to share their experiences with and use this podcast to share their stories with anyone who feels led to listening to them. And I know the rest of the conversation with Mario will do just that. <laughs>